yourselves to that in focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Friday, August 19th, 2022. The United Nations says five aid workers have been killed in South Sudan this year. Since 2013, we have had 134 deaths of humanitarian workers in South Sudan. 134. Those 134 people were mostly fathers, mostly fathers, almost all of them um, are men. And some Sudanese political analysts are concerned over the constitutional vacuum in the country following the October 2021 military coup. It was written in a hasty way, uh, overlooking um, a number of uh, issues. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. On this World Humanitarian Day, the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in South Sudan says five aid workers have been killed in the country this year as the humanitarian situation continues to worsen. The UN Humanitarian Coordination Chief in South Sudan is calling for an end to attacks against humanitarian workers and civilians. From Juba, Manyang David Mayar reports for VOA. Sarah Nyanti, the United Nations Humanitarian Coordinator in South Sudan, says instead of seeing aid workers as lifesavers, some South Sudanese have attacked them. Since 2013, we have had 134 deaths of humanitarian workers in South Sudan. 134. Those 134 people were mostly fathers. Mostly fathers, almost all of them um, are men who left behind widows and children and most of them South Sudanese. Speaking to journalists on Thursday, Nyandi said five aid workers, all of them South Sudanese, have been killed so far this year. She calls on the government to provide security to keep aid workers from harm so they can deliver humanitarian services to needy people. It's government's responsibility to provide safety and security for all South Sudanese, for all uh, foreigners, and for all people within the borders of South Sudan. We are speaking with government. In all fairness to government, we have raised this issue. We have raised the need um, to government in terms of security. We continue to dialogue with government on this, but we also need for government to really start to hold people accountable. If we do, it will be a deterrent, and others will stop killing as they have been doing. Major General Lurai Kong, a spokesperson for the South Sudan's People's Defense Forces, says some parts of the country are not under government control. He says the army is willing to escort humanitarian workers in risky parts of the country when they ask for it. You know, most of these UN agencies, they move on their own, even in uh, in very risky areas. The country is at war. We have many non-state actors. We have a lot of rebels. We have a lot of armed civilians. If UN want us to give them extra protection where they are not feeling safe, they should be coming to the nearest SSPDF garrison to ask for an escort. Kong also urges armed groups to ensure the safety of aid workers. The rules of engagement are very clear. Okay, Everyone knows that uh, if you are an armed group, you are not supposed to attack non-military uh, targets. You are not supposed to attack civilians. So those who are carrying out uh, illegal acts, where they, we find them, we would hold them accountable. Between January and July this year, the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs says 232 incidents attacks on humanitarian workers were reported. 
the Greater Jungle Region had 50 attacks, the highest number. UN OCHA says there were 111 violence attacks against staff and assets as well as 39 cases of access obstructions. Nyandi says 8.9 million people in South Sudan need humanitarian assistance and aid workers are doing their best to provide services. Whether there's funding or not, they are out there. They are in the field. They are in IDP camps. They are in host communities. They are across this country trying to intervene in the lives of those who are losing hope, who feel that there's nothing else that they can look to besides a humanitarian worker to help them. Unfortunately, these same people are killed. These same people are attacked. Authorities have promised to investigate the incidents, which have been blamed on unknown asylums, but no one has been brought to justice so far. World Humanitarian Day is marked every August 19th to honor aid workers across the world and to pay tribute to those who have died or been injured doing their jobs. For VOA News, I'm young David Mayor in Juba. Some Sudanese analysts say they are concerned over the fate of the three-year-old constitutional document signed between military and civilian leaders to govern the transitional period. A Khartoum University lecturer says the document is no longer valid because of last year's military coup, adding that forming a government now requires a new constitution drafting by all parties involved. Michael Atit reports for VOA from Khartoum. Hassan Hajali, a political science lecturer at Khartoum University, says three years of the constitutional document has not yielded any fruits. It only contributed to the suffering of citizens. Ali says the constitutional document was drafted in a hurry and focused only on a partnership between a few political forces and the military, which he says overlooked major transitional issues. To establish a proper structural government, Ali says Sudan should abolish or amend the current constitutional document or draft a new one that corresponds with what is happening in the country. Ali says the current constitutional document is no longer valid because the partnerships on which it was built ended in the October military coup. It was written in a hasty way, uh, overlooking um, a number of uh, issues. Uh, and the main idea is uh, just uh, in a very uh, quick way to reach a compromise between the civilians and the uh, military uh, council uh, at that time. Sudanese military and civilian leaders agreed to share power on August 17, 2019 through a constitutional document that would govern the country for a period of 36 months. It was agreed that the head of the military component, General Abdul Fattah al-Burhan, would lead the sovereign council composed of five military officers and six civilian members. The civilian component of the sovereign council nominated former Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok to lead the council of ministers. But Hamdok resigned late last year following the coup led by al-Burhan. Ali says the partnership between the military and civilian could no longer continue because a third party or another political interest was introduced through the Juba Peace Agreement. We have uh, a diverse political interest uh, 
within the civilians and at the same time within the military uh, between the rebel support forces and the, the Sudanese armed forces. Uh, later on, they added the armed groups uh, from mainly from Darfur and also from uh, the southern Blue Nile uh, province. They were added after the Juba Peace Agreement. An umbrella of armed groups known as Sudan Revolutionary Front signed a peace deal with the transitional government in Sudan in October 2020, which silenced the guns in parts of Darfur, Blue Nile, and Nuba Mountains. A Rashid Muhammad Ibrahim, political science and diplomatic studies lecturer at Khartoum University, argues the three-year transitional period was not ideal because it allowed each component of the transitional government to develop different political interests. Transitional political issues all over the world should be for a very short period, which should be focused on particular issues, including the democratic transition. It should not focus on any political rivalries or allocations to favor any political party. All programs regarding any political party should wait for the election. Ibrahim says the military component spoiled all the aspirations of Sudanese citizens when it overthrew the civilian government and pushed out all the political parties to rule Sudan. He says if the military steps aside as announced by Al-Burhan, the civilian political parties should come together and form a technocratic government that would prepare the country for a national election at the end of a transitional period. There should be a technocratic civilian government in place who should have a specific program that focuses on the livelihood of the people. A government that would focus on constitutional preparation, economic stability, and prepare people for the election. This government is mandated to draft a clear political relationship between the military and the civilians in the country. In early July, military leader Al-Burhan said the military would step aside and allow civilian parties to reach a consensus and form a civilian-led government. Ali and Ibrahim both say they are concerned the constitutional vacuum in the country does not bode well for the country and say there is an urgent need for Sudan's political parties to iron out their differences. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. The Communist Party of Sudan has formed a political alliance that has put forward a proposal for solving Sudan's political crisis created by the October 2021 military coup. Saleh Mahmoud is a member of the Communist Party's Central Committee. He tells me the new alliance aims to achieve radical change in the way politics is done in Sudan, starting with the total exit of the military from political life. The Alliance for Radical Change is really uh, based on the fact that uh, through uh, more than uh, 60 years since independence, our country has been uh, been, uh, hijacked by forces that uh, are today responsible for the deterioration that is uh, resulted in the uh, miseries and uh, wars, conflicts, poverty, diseases, injustice, corruption, everything. This is uh, simply because out of these 66 years, uh, military junta ruled the country for 
57 years out of the the, the, the whole uh, you know independence uh, since independence that the, the, uh, yes again they are not alone because they have their allies also inside uh, the country this is what we call them the forces who are uh, re resisting the change this is simply that the other, other, other side is those forces uh, who resist the change so that they can maintain their uh, you know uh, interests that is uh, economic and uh, political wise yes you, then, uh, it seems it seems at the heart of what you're calling for is uh, the exit of the military from uh, from power uh, because you started by talking about Yes. Yes, that is the first, that is the first condition. Yes. But it's not sufficient. But, but I wanted to ask are, you, what are the components yes. or the parties that are working with you in this alliance? This alliance, mainly these are the modern, you know, uh, like uh, trade unions. Communist uh, Party, of course, is, 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 is a founder, uh, but they are allies. You can you can you can count them. The number is more than twelve bodies. Twelve bodies who are calling for radical change. Yes. Some of them are, are trade unions and uh, civil society movements and political parties. Simply, one prominent political party is the Sudanese Communist Party. The some of uh, other factions we are we are expecting also uh, some of the movements uh, at least one of them will will, will join the, the, the forces but not yet but uh, it is promising that every day uh, situation tells the people that there is no way to put end to this uh, dilemma except by uh, depending on this radical change. There are, there are several initiative, initiatives right now in Sudan. Since the military coup uh, in October, many proposals have been put forward, some led by Islamists, uh, some by political parties, even tribal leaders and Sufi groups. Uh, the last one, the most recent one, seems to be the call of Sudan's people. Uh, what makes you start a new uh, alliance or a new initiative, and what makes this one different? But the, yes, you're right when you say that they were, uh, there are still several initiatives since the coup of uh, 25th of October up to this moment, and even before that uh, event. And now the problem is that all these initiative, initiatives, including the efforts by uh, the especially envoy Volta and again with the part from the UN and other, 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 other actors, the problem is that all of these people are calling for partnership with the military. Junta, which is not acceptable, and always they say you cannot exclude the military, and this is it is not true definitely because uh, we can exclude the, the military in especially in the area of ruling the country. We are not against them; they have their uh, responsibilities, 
based on uh, the constitution, they, 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 they need to, to, to care for that. But uh, ruling the country is not one of their responsibilities. This is the difference here. Now, you, you seem to be taking a radical position with regards to the role of the army. You are demanding a total exit of the military from political life. How do you plan on achieving that? By pressuring them, putting pressure uh, by all peaceful means, saying no, taking streets every now and then, telling them there is, there is no way that people can go back to their homes. Although you see sacrifices uh, are huge, people are, are determined to continue. This is now the third year. And people are determined to continue uh, calling for uh, civilian democratic rule of the country and for the army to go back that was Saleh Mahmoud, member of the Communist Party of Sudan Central Committee. He was speaking with me from the Sudanese capital Khartoum this past hour. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, Kenya's Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission is facing a crisis. Stay tuned for the details which are coming up right after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. What is your golden rule in life? My golden rule is never to give up, no matter what, uh, whether it's on family challenges, money problems, work-related, I just never give up. Golden rule. No, I don't, I don't, like, I don't allow men to play with my life. That is my golden rule. And I don't allow anyone to talk ill about my parents and my family. Put good first cause in everything you need good. And, the, and the, as you know, the feeling of God is the, is, the, is, the, is the beginning of knowledge. Not to lie. I always want to base my living, everything I do, my speaking, my saying in facts and truth. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Kenya's Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission, or IEBC, is facing a crisis citing harassment of its members and staff. The commission, through its chairperson, Wafula Chibukati, has expressed concern following the murder of an IEBC official whose autopsy failed to show the exact cause of death. At the same time, another of the commission's staff is fighting for his life after his leg was amputated after being shot on election day. Maureen Ojiambo reports for VOA from Nairobi. Kenya's electoral body are living in fear. This as the commission has opted to postpone the election that was slated for next week in some parts of the country where the vote did not take place on the 9th of August. The polls were postponed in those places following a mistake on ballot papers, among other issues. In a statement by Commission's chairperson Mufulechi Bukate, said that 
And I quote, the commission is concerned that some of its critical staff who objectively and impartially performed their duties at the National Tallying Center are being intimidated and harassed through profiling and or arbitrary arrests. This has instilled fear within the staff who are now unable to report to the office for duty. End of quote. Last week, Chebukati announced the disappearance of Daniel Musioka, a returning officer who was based in one of the stations in the capital. He went missing while on duty. Musioka's body was later found dumped early this week at the Amboseli National Park, a few kilometers from Nairobi. I wish to inform the country that uh, our returning officer for Mbakasi East constituency, Mr. Daniel Mushoka, has been reported missing while on duty at the East African, that is East African School of Aviation Tallying Center. Yesterday, Thursday, five pathologists failed to ascertain the cause of Musioka's death. Led by government pathologist Dorothy Njeru, they said that they could not determine the precise cause of death, saying samples would be subjected for further forensic analysis in a government lab. At the same time, another IEBC official, Mohamed Kanyare, had his leg amputated after he was shot several times on the election day. Kanyare says he was shot by a police officer. Kanyare was a presiding officer in Eldas constituency in Wajir County. It is alleged he was asked to alter voting forms in favor of one of the candidates, but he declined. The light to be switched off and everybody to lie down. Since it was near the podium where the electoral officials and the officers were sitting, I took a few steps back and lay down. An officer came from nowhere, shot at me and left me crying for help. Musioka and Kanyare joined the history books as officers who were killed and injured while performing their duty. During the announcement of the presidential results, the chairman of Fulachi Bukate, Commissioners Abdegulie, Boyamolu, and Chief Executive Officer Marjan Marjan were physically attacked, assaulted, and injured by persons in the company of certain political leaders. Meanwhile, there are cracks at the commission as the chairman and his vice are reading from different pages. Juliana Cherera is the IEBC vice chairperson. That the aggregation of the percentages of the results scored by the four presidential candidates who were on the ballot as declared by Mr. Chebukati presented to us a mathematical absurdity that defied logic. Chebukati, however, denied Cherera's allegations saying she wanted him to call for a rerun instead of announcing President-elect William Ruto the winner. Reporting for views, I am Moreno Jambo in Nairobi, Kenya. Tigrayan forces have warned of a new conflict in northern Ethiopia, accusing federal forces of firing on their positions this week despite a months-long ceasefire. The office of the prime minister dismissed the allegation and said it was aimed at deflecting efforts to engage in peace talks. Henry Wilkins reports for VOA from Addis Ababa. 
In the disputed region of western Tigray, local officials led VOA into the hills close to the town of Adi Ramad. Here is what they claim was the site of a concentration camp run by the Tigray People's Liberation Front or the TPLF in the late 1980s and early 1990s. One witness, Cheru Gebrumariam, says he was held in a cave along with many other Amharas, people that the TPLF persecuted because of their ethnicity decades ago. He says he has known this place since the 80s and was detained here for a year and seven months with his friend. We stayed here in the cave during daylight hours to avoid air raids, he says. The history of Western Tigray or Well Kayat, as the Amhara regional government refers to it, is complex. Amhara forces wrestled control of Western Tigray from the TPLF during the current conflict that began in November 2020, claiming the TPLF wrongly annexed the region in the early 90s and that historically the region has always belonged to them. They urged the government to make it a legal part of Amhara. As peace talks to put an end to Ethiopia's nearly two-year civil war look more likely, both the Amhara and Tigray regional leadership are demanding control of the area. Analysts say the dispute will play a crucial role in negotiations. William Davidson is an analyst at the International Crisis Group, a Belgium-based research group. This is what we describe as a zero-sum dispute um, at Crisis Group, and, and this is why it's such a hard problem to resolve. I think we, we can all come up with sort of potential compromise solutions, um, joint administration, uh, local autonomy, federal administration, but simply getting to the stage where that sort of um, compromise political arrangement is accepted um, by the two regions um, is hard to conceive of at the moment. Experts say any historical claim by the Amhara is irrelevant since Ethiopia's constitution states Western Tigray is part of the Tigray region. Geographer Jan Nyssen teaches at Belgian's Ghent University. The Ethiopian constitution doesn't allow for that historical claim. Yeah, because this is this is endless. Because you you change. If I've seen these maps through time, every fifty years these borders were changing. Yeah, so what historical claim are you going to to look at? What are you going to, to consider? In the cave VOA visited, researchers from the University of Gondar could be seen pulling bones out of the ground they claim belonged to prisoners killed at the camp during TPLF rule. Many ethnic Amharas, they say, believe such alleged evidence of past atrocities shows why the region should be under their control. But the Amhara region-based university's research into the graves has been criticised by experts. Critics say the federal government has used the graves as propaganda and questions the timing of old graves coinciding with new allegations of ethnic cleansing committed against Tigrayans during the current war. Independent researchers have not been given access to the site. Hone Mandefro, a former researcher now working at the Amhara Association of America, a non-profit documenting abuse against ethnic Amharas, admitted the university has yet to use forensic techniques to piece together what's happened at the grave sites. I'm hopeful that this will happen in the future, but at this point... It's just mapping the, the mass graves where they're located. Since the Amhara occupied Western Tigray in early 2021, rights groups such as Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International say Tigrayans are being attacked and forcibly removed from the region. A TPLF spokesperson declined to comment on how the fate of Western Tigray could factor into peace talks. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Adi Ramitz, Ethiopia.
this a message in the public interest from VOA Africa? Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Modul. The World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. And that's all we have for you this Friday. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, cars, or on your phones. Join us again next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.